11 years now, 11 years I've known this, uh, this man and his family, and they are such a blessing to Tanya and I. And uh, the thing that I love about David is that he uh, exudes such wisdom. Uh, in fact, even to this day, right now, uh, whenever I go through some challenges, he's one of the men that I go and see to speak into my life because he just understands stuff. You know, he understands the Word of God and he hears from the Holy Spirit. So why don't you welcome uh, David Roke as he comes to bring the Word this morning. Come on, show appreciation this morning. Thank you, brother. Good morning. Well, I think you all could be congratulated this morning. You ought to be congratulated. You come out here and it's cold and, and there's masks and stuff going on, but you're here because, um, as Talia was saying, not because you have to, but because you want to be here in the presence of God. So God's going to bless that this morning. Well, this morning, um, the motivation of this message it comes from this kind of one key idea. How well do we know and understand key scriptures. How well do we know and understand key scriptures? I'm not saying that we take scriptures for granted, but I think sometimes when we, you know, when we start in the life of church, we hear these words that are preached often, or we hear these words, and we, we do this with them. We put them into boxes. We say, does this apply to my life? Or does it not apply to my life? Do I need to know this or do I not need to know this? And if we don't need to know it or it doesn't apply to my life straight away, we stick it into a box for later. And so what actually happens is we only get a very broad understanding of what that scripture is because we never wrestle with it and we never go into it and try and find out what the deeper meaning is. If you were at Sunday school uh, when you were a kid or if you have kids in Sunday school, you will know that all kids think that every answer that the teacher asks, the answer is Jesus. Right? It's like the teacher says, um, you know, what is the answer for this? And yeah, all the kids have hit their hands up because they all know the answer. Yes, yes, pick me, pick me. Yes, David, what is the answer? Is it Jesus? Woo! And, then, and then the teacher looks at you and goes, uh, David, the giant's name was Goliath, actually. And all the kids are laughing at you now, but they had their, their answer was Jesus too. And you're thinking to yourself, this teacher doesn't know anything about Scripture because the answer is always Jesus. And, you know, we do that with, with Scripture sometimes. I know that's a, like a, a, a childish illustration, but we do that sometimes. We get this broad understanding of what Scripture is without ever going deeper on it. And I, I see some blank faces because you don't know really what I'm talking about at the moment. Let me give you some examples. What about um, the Trinity? Have you ever tried to explain the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit to somebody? How it all works? I remember I did that once when I was a youth pastor, youth leader. And I made such a mess of it because they were asking me questions that I did not know. I was trying to teach something I didn't understand myself. What about suffering? You know, one of the, the key negative things that non-believers will, will bring up about the walk of Christianity is suffering. They'll ask questions like, if God loves us so much, why is there suffering in the world? If God loves Jesus so much, why did He die on the cross? If God loves us so much, why is there even a hell? And if we're not prepared for these kind of questions, we can really, really miss opportunities. 
talking about that, what about the fact that we are supposed to have a testimony on hand at all times? It says here in Peter 3.15, Always be ready to give an answer to every man who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you. And yet for so many of us, when that golden opportunity happens and somebody sits next to you and says, David, please tell me why it is that you have Jesus as your Lord. In that moment, you can either lose somebody or completely bring them into salvation. Are we ready? Do we have these key things that we should know in our hearts? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at one of these key scriptures that I think that many of us may box away and never have dealt deeply into them or understood them. We're going to be looking at the great commandment. So I want you to turn with me, please, to Luke 10, 27. While you're turning there, we're just going to be looking at a very, very small piece of Scripture because it's jam-packed with so many things in that small piece of Scripture. Luke 10, 27. And Jesus is answering the Pharisees who are trying to catch him out and trying to get him to trip up. And they ask him, Tell us what is the greatest commandment. And this is what he replies. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Did you, did you notice? Did you notice? A small word in there that's used four times in that small little passage. Can you see it? All. If you're taking notes this morning, the message title for this morning is All In Equals All Out. The reason why we're noticing this word all is because it's kind of the key focus of what the scripture is all about. All. Jesus was obviously quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 here. Deuteronomy 6.5 is the most important scripture for Hebrews. It is something that they recite morning and night. It's called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and all your mind. But before I go any further than this, I just want to kind of frame frame what's in this, this uh, meaty scripture first before we go any further. It's an interesting thing because the Jews, you know, we, we have this concept even today about the heart. We talk about, I have a broken heart or my heart is rejoicing. But we all know that the heart is just a muscle, right? It's just you know, some, some meat that's inside there that's a very important piece of meat because it's, it's, you know, it's sending the blood around us. It keeps us alive. When the muscle, you know, doesn't work anymore, well, we have a heart attack and we die. But there's many other things that can cause us to die in our bodies too. Why do we use the heart in this way? Well, it's because it comes from the Hebrew understanding of what the heart is. Do you know that the, the, the early Hebrews did not have a concept of the brain or the mind? They thought that all understanding, knowledge, 
and experience of life came actually from the heart. They did not have medical uh, knowledge that we have today where we know exactly what the brain is and what it does. They thought it all came from the heart. For, for, for the Hebrews, all human intellect, in, in, intellectual ability takes place in the heart. The heart is where we know. The heart is where we understand. The heart is where we have wisdom. The heart is where we have faith, discernment. And the heart is where we make sense of all the world. Have a look at some of the scripture. Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust comes from the heart. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom comes from the heart. The wise in heart accepts commands. Proverbs 10.8. But the heart is also a place where sin and deceit and evil comes from. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Psalms 37.4. And Proverbs 24.3. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see how they, they interpreted the heart? Create in me a pure heart, O God. Psalm 51.10. But the heart is also where our emotions are seated, according to Hebrew Scripture, according to the Shema. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Proverbs 17.22 and John 14.27, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And there's so many more. There's hundreds, thousands of, you know, uh, where they speak about the heart as being the center of, civil, of, of intelligence. The other word I want to uh, look at this morning is this word soul. Because the word soul also comes with a lot of baggage. It also comes with some misunderstanding. Because if you had to ask even Christians today what the word soul is, you're probably going to get a different idea from different Christians. And the reason for that is because ancient Greek philosophy, their idea of what the soul, and which is quite prevalent today, is that the soul is a, a non-mortal essence it's almost like, does, any, does anybody remember um, Casper the Friendly Ghost? All right. That's what the idea of the soul is. And many, I think there's a movie out that's just come out, a cartoon movie called Soul, and it, it's got those sort of ghostly kind of, kind of creatures. But the Shema, the Hebrew understanding of the soul is completely different. The soul means the body. It's not some, you know, metaphysical presence. It's the body. But it's more than the body. In, in the Hebrew word, the, the soul means uh, is, is called nephilim. That's the Hebrew word for soul. And if you read through the scriptures, you'll see that nephilim is used in the context of like a group of people. This was Jacob's nephilim. These were Jacob's people. Like a dead nephilim was a dead person. Or a thieving nephilim was a, was a thieving person. So it actually means a, a person. But it means even more than that. It actually means the life that is given to us from God into this whole body. So it's a soul is the entire existence of life of a body. The next word I want to look at is strength. Now I've always understood the word in this uh, the word strength here is that love God with all your might, love God with all your you know everything, all your power that you've got. I was wrong again. Because the word strength in the Shema 
actually is translated to the word ma'od. Say that with me. It's such a beautiful word. Ma'od. Ma'od. M-E-O-D. And what ma'od means is it means very or much or extreme. In other words, the word ma'od, the word strength, describes something else. In uh, Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth in six days, after six days, God said, it is good. But on the seventh day, he said, it is ma'od good. It is very, very good. Sometimes they use the word twice to amplify it. It is ma'od, ma'od good. In other words, it's very, very, very good. In other words, today we use this, this kind of concept to, to do the same sort of thing. Like somebody will say to you, I want you to give me 110%. Now, we know you can't get 110% because 100%, 100% is full, right? But the reason why they say that is they want you to go beyond your expected capacity, that's what 110% means. That's what strength means. That's what ma'od means. So when we look at the context of love your Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and strength and mind, it refers to loving God with your entire existence. Your thoughts, your mind, your choices, your actions, your whole physical existence and life to do it with great muchness. To give it 110% to go beyond the expected capacity. I have a question for you. Is this even possible? Seriously, is this possible? I mean, really. I mean, how am I supposed to love my wife if I'm giving all my love to God with great muchness? How can I love my children? How can I love other, other people if everything is supposed to be given to God? Do I have to become a monk? Do you have to become nuns? Let's find out. <laughs> it's sometimes, when you, when you look at the scripture, sometimes it's hard to put it all into one sort of thought process. So what I really want to talk about this morning is I want to bring this whole scripture under one word, which I believe uh, is the word that God wants it to be under. And that's the word Relationship. What God desires for us is to have a relationship with Him. He didn't create you and me just to look at us and say, what a beautiful creation. He created us to be in a relationship with. Actually, He created us to have a mold, deep relationship with us. But in all honesty, and I think many of you will agree with me, we are pretty awful at relationships. We don't do relationships very well. Even as Christians, we offend each other. We hurt each other. We, we, we even get you know, disjointed with other denominations that are around us. We find it difficult to have relationships. Even in Christian marriages, unfortunately, the divorce rate in Christian marriages is exactly the same as it is in non-Christian marriages. Because we have not got this one thing called relationship right. If you're a millennial now, this is not judgment, but this is a little bit of an illustration just to, to drive the point home about 
um, where we're at at the moment. The UK retail chain shop, Topshop, commissioned a survey by a team of psychologists into their key customer demographics. Millennials, those born between 1981 and early 2000, also known as Generation Y. They interviewed 800 people. The results were so startling that they did not believe them. So much so that they thought that something had gone wrong and they decided to go and interview another separate 800 people just to make sure what was happening. But guess what? They got the same result. The results portrayed an alarming picture of an increasingly lonely and lost generation. More people live alone than at any other point in our recorded social history. On average, millennials spend six and a half hours on social media a day. Many who were interviewed considered work to be something they fitted in between social media and lunch. They found people had a very large number of friends, but an increasing sense of loneliness. We have failed at relationships. And we are failing at relationships. And so if we suffer so badly at relationships, it's no wonder why God made it a command. Because he knew that we would basically do badly at relationships. On one hand, God is trying to drive home this idea of a relationship with him. And on the other hand, the devil is trying to break up every relationship that he can. So what are we missing from the scripture that God is clearly trying to drive home? What would be the difference if we went all in? If we gave all? This morning I want to give you, you're very quiet this morning, you guys. I know when Pastor Paul says, you guys are quiet, I can feel it. You can shout, guys. You can speak. Give me an amen. It's okay. We're good. We're good. I want to give you three points this morning. Three points that would make a difference if we went all in in our relationship with God. The first one is this. All in equals all-out relationship with God. John 15, Jesus says, abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in my love. Let me ask you right this morning, where do you live? I'm not talking about your street address. I'm not talking about your actual physical home because that's more about your physical needs. I'm asking you, where does your heart abide? Where does your soul abide and where does your strength and mind abide? In Kings 18, 18, 3 to 7, where it talks about all the different kings, does anybody know King Hezekiah? King Hezekiah is an astounding man. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it, obviously to other foreign gods. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, God of Israel. Here's what I want you to catch. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah. 
either before him or after him. That means that in God's eyes, he was even greater than King David. There was no one before him or after him of all the kings that were greater than King Hezekiah. And yet nobody really talks about King Hezekiah. We talk about King Josephus and King Isaiah, King David. King Hezekiah was the greatest in God's eyes. Why? Let me tell you why. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He was the only one that started well and finished well. All the other kings started well but finished badly, even King Solomon. And it gives us an insight in what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Because when you do that, God is with you. God is with you. You know, Hezekiah went against the grain of his culture because his culture were worshiping on the Asherah poles. The kings before him had commanded the people to worship on the, alt- on the altars of other foreign gods. And he went down as a king and tore them down, knowing that many of the kings in the past had been killed within a couple of months and even killed in a couple of years. But he went against the grain and said, I will follow the Lord, even if it kills me. I will follow the Lord. I want to give you this illustration. If you've seen scientific movies or like futuristic movies, you'll know what I'm talking about. Imagine right here that there's a big bubble of love, all right? One of those, you know, the spears of gas and there's vapors coming off it, right? You guys got me? You're seeing this, you can see it? It's a big blue bubble, can you see it? All right, this is God. This is love. Don't go and say that God, David said that God is a bubble of gas, okay? He's not. I'm using an illustration. You see, what actually happens is we like to stand in the vapors because it feels good. We stand near to God. We stand near to the vapors, and it feels good over here. But there's two reasons why we don't step into God. The first reason is because our flesh stops us from stepping in. We like to feel the presence of God, but we don't want to give up the flesh. We don't want to let go of what the flesh. And the other reason is because we don't have enough faith to step in and trust God is is not going to steal things from us. Flesh and faith. Church, you cannot love someone if you do not know them. It's impossible. And although God knows you and loves you unconditionally, He cannot know you unless you love Him. Do you know when you read so much of uh, the Scripture, especially when Jesus is talking about, you know, um, uh, you know, whether you can enter in the kingdom or not, do you know He uses that word know all the time? The, the angel, the, the virgins, the nine virgins that, 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 that ran out of oil and then they came running to get in and Jesus had just returned and just closed the door and they start banging, please let us in. What does Jesus say? I did not know you. And there are other, many other cases where he says, I did. relationship 
is so important to God. This is what God is all about. This is what the Scripture is about. He wants to have a relationship with you. Do you know when you're standing in those vapors and it feels so good, all of us have had times where you know, we're so close to the presence of God. Am I right? Raise your hand if you've been close to God at times. You might be in a dry patch now, but you know what it feels like to be so close to God. And it feels good for you. Did you ever wonder what it feels like for God? Did you ever stop to think that He is in His element? Because the one that He created for relationship, the one that He wants to love, has drawn close to Him. You know, if you're in a relationship and, you're, and you love somebody and they, they love you back, it feels so good. But when they start turning away and getting distracted and you're going like, yeah, later, God, how does God feel? Have you ever thought about how God feels in that moment? He's crying out to you, come back. Come back. I have so much to give you. If only you would step in all. You cannot be in right relationship with people unless you're in right relationship with God. You know, right relationship means righteousness. You can only be righteous to people if you, if you have a righteousness with God. If you want to gauge where you are with your relationship with God, and I don't expect you to do this right now, go home and think about this. What is the highest value that you have in your life? What do you place as the highest value in your life? For some of you, you might be going, because this is going to be a hard one to think about, actually, because some of you are going, oh, it's definitely God, but maybe it's not. Maybe you spend so much time doing work because you love your work, and if you really worked it out, that's your highest value. Maybe some of you, your kids are your very highest value that you have, and that's the thing that you really value the highest. And I tell you something, when you find out what your highest value is, you will know what your greatest passion is. And when you know what your greatest passion is, you'll know what your greatest commitment is. Jesus said in a different way, he said, wherever your heart is, there too is your treasure. The second point is this, all in equals all out relationships with people. John 15, 4, 11 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, in other words, lives in me, all in, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will, ask, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Ask yourself again, do I have the fruit of the Spirit? Do I have love? Do I have joy? Do I have peace? Do I have self-control? Do I have patience? Do I have goodness? And do I have kindness? 
And you might find that you have a few of those, but God wants to give them all to you. You cannot love others with the fruit of the Spirit unless you are all in with God. Because when you get all in, like as if when you get into the vine, then the blood of Jesus starts to flow through you. And you start, you start producing the fruit that Jesus has produced through you. But if you're on the outside, if you never step in, you cannot produce fruit. This is something that happens when you are genuinely locked into God. <clears throat> Thirdly, and lastly, all in equals all out power. Have you ever wondered why sometimes when you pray uh, you know, for something, like you're praying for somebody to be healed, or you're praying for your finances to, to shift and things are not going well, and nothing changes, nothing's happening? It may be because you're not all in. Let me read this for you, Acts 19.16. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away from the sick to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out. So the diseases went, and the demons were cast out by just touching an apron. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by the Lord Jesus over those, um, sorry, I lost my, invoke the name of the Lord Jesus, I adjure you by the, by by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, and this is what I want you to catch. Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil had spirits had leapt on them and mastered them all and overpowered them so that they fled out the house naked and wounded. Jesus I know, Paul I recognize. There's that word know again. If you want to cast out demons and take authority over them, when a demon looks at you, if he does not see Jesus in you, you have no authority over him. In fact, you're putting yourself at great danger and risk. If you want to cast out demons, if you want to heal people, because this is what we're called to do, to make people right in their bodies and in their minds and in their souls and spirits, if you want to do, you should want to do that. You should want to take and, and take all the power that God gives you and works through you and do something with it. But you cannot do it unless you're all in. Because the body will only, uh, will only respond to the Christ who's in you. The demons will only respond to the crisis in you. If you want the power of God in your life, you have to go all in. Musas, you guys can come up. Thank you so much while I finish. The title of this message, as I said, is All In Equals All Out. You know, you can't reverse this process. You can't go all out equals all in. So many times I've seen, especially new Christians, 
you know, they, they find God, they get excited, and they are all out. Man, they are just going for it. They are doing everything. They are involved in every single ministry. They, they're on the streets doing everything, and this is how their walk goes. It goes like this. Why? Because they're not all in. Because they're doing stuff in their own strength. Because they're basically doing works. We have to do it in this way. All in equals all out. Go all in and God will give you every desire of your heart. You will experience a love that you never knew existed. You will find yourself completely transformed from the inside out, carrying God's glory and producing fruit. You will see lives changed as God uses you to preach, to bring healing and peace to others. Church, last question. Isn't it time that we went all in? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and your mind. Amen. Why don't we appreciate that message right now? Jesus. Come on. You know, one of the things we want to do as a church is to encourage you to take your next step with the Lord. What's your next step? A lot of people that go to church and they attend church and believe that that is as far as they go. That's all they need to do. But the Bible doesn't say that. It tells us that we are on a journey with the Lord. So I want to ask you about that. How's your journey going? How are you growing closer with the Lord this morning? Word and I thank you, God, you know, for his, we thank God for his mercy and his compassion. Um, so I guess the challenge this week is to, you know, ask God, show me, Lord, reveal to me um, what those things are in my life that I need to surrender to you, what, whatever it is that's blocking that intimate relationship with God so that we can go all in, um, being alert um, and listening, and part of my own challenge um, that I'm working on in myself is getting some good sleep. Because if you don't sleep, you're just not kind of with it, you know. So, and that's part of it, you know, just being alert. Um, and then that'll help us to be able to listen at the same time, you know, and confess whatever it is that sin, whatever that hindrance is, you know, Lord, I know you wanted me to do that and I failed you, forgive me, you know, and, and uh, yeah, so my, um, our challenge, my challenge as well is to be alert, to listen and just surrender um, our all to the Lord. Yeah, amen. Yeah, just for a repeat, um, it's good to um, remind ourselves or, you know, to go back over um, what you said, um, David, and, and that is uh, we've got um, the message that's recorded on a podcast. We've also got it on SoundCloud and on YouTube um, and also on our uh, Facebook Live. I think it's recorded then we can replay it um, just to remind ourselves what we learnt this week. Thank you, everybody. Right. If I could just invite the church to stand to your feet.